Hi, I'm Eric Humphrey, and this is Creatives Talk. This podcast was birthed from a simple idea of giving back to the creative community. Every week I have the opportunity to speak with some of the most creative, driven, and inspiring individuals I've had the chance to meet. I hope their stories inspire you to live a more creative life. This is Creatives Talk, Episode 2. I'm really excited to have James Bland on here. He's a director and actor who's moved to L.A. eight years ago to pursue a career in film. In this episode, we're going to talk about James's journey as a filmmaker and the different challenges he's had to overcome to get to this point, where now he'll be launching his first web series that he wrote, directed, and starred in called Giants, January 25th on Issa Rae's YouTube channel. I'm really excited to have him here, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. So, just to get started, take me through, you know, how you got into directing. Man, it really started for me in college. I went to FAMU. I was a business major, and um, so I'm 6'6 as well. So, most of my life, I was playing basketball, but I always had an interest in arts and entertainment and theater, and initially my only outlet for it was church. I was uh, writing and directing plays for my church growing up, um, but when I stopped playing basketball when I got to college, it was, I had the opportunity to kind of figure out, all right, what else do I, what, do, what else do I enjoy to do now that I have some free time? And so I started auditioning for plays, and then that led me to auditioning for uh, student films over at Florida State. And so once I got on set and I got a chance to see how films are made, I got the bug. I got, you know, I got bit by the film bug and I realized that, yo, I really enjoy this. I really like the process of filmmaking. And so after that, I just set out, um, I set out to make my first film while I was at FAM. I wrote and directed a film called Dreaming in Color um, my senior year at FAMU. And then I had the opportunity to meet Will Packer and Rob Hardy, who had just uh, finish producing and directing the film uh, Stump the Yard. And I pledged Alpha FM and Will and Rob are my pro fights. And so our chapter went and stepped in the film. And so I got a chance to see the filmmaking process from the studio perspective. And that blew me away. And I realized, you know, at that moment, I really wanted to be a filmmaker. And so when I graduated from FAMU in 2008, I moved directly to LA to pursue a career in film and television. Wow. So, and you said you started off as a kid doing plays for the church. Yeah. Like, who got you into that? Was it something like your parents got you into, or was it just like, I want to do this? Yeah, it was always in me. I was that little boy. Even growing up, I didn't really play sports initially. I was that kid that wanted to put on talent shows. So I just (laughs) always liked performing and singing and dancing, but I feel like I I started focusing more on sports as I got older because, because of my height and because... You know, people don't really, we don't really encourage young black boys uh, to, to be active in the arts. You know, people just saw me as a basketball player. And so I felt like I, I needed to play basketball because of my height. You know, even to this day, sometimes I don't even go on a basketball court because of the expectation. You know, I'm 6'6", <laughs> walking on the court, people expect me to be dunking. And, uh-huh. and so um, nobody pushed me uh, towards it. It was just always in me. Like, even when I was young... Um, my parents would always buy me um, like crayons and colored pencils and because I love to draw and, and I love to paint. So um, I just always had, it was just always in me. It was always in you. Yeah. Um, 
Hey, so what, did either one of your parents were they involved in the arts or anything? Not at all. Well, my mom. Yeah, my mom. My mom sews. Okay. And she was a seamstress. So her background is in accounting. So she's always worked in finance. But she used to make her own clothes when she was a teenager. And so she made me and my sister's clothes when we were kids. And I've seen my mom make wedding dresses. And I've seen her, like, create wreaths and, you know, decorations for Christmas. So my mom's really creative. Got it. So you think you get your creativity, man, came from your mom? I would say so. Yeah, All my right. mom. Because my dad is more hands-on. Uh, he's more... My dad is creative, too. Like, he he, he builds uh, barbecue grills. Okay. Like, he's a welder. So just a different type of creativity. Uh, so my dad's... Cre- and then my dad's also a, um, a landscaper. So that's art as well. You know, it it's is. just a different form in terms of uh, building flower beds and... Uh, so his canvas was just uh, plants and flowers and grass. And so my mom's canvas was fabric. And I guess my canvas became people and film. So you're FM, you're, you're studying mm-hmm. business, and then you decide that you want to go pursue film. Like, how does your family and you take that? Do they say, like, what about this business degree we just put you nah, in school? They were, they were, they were cool. Um, my family was has always been extremely supportive. I think they always knew that this was the route that I would take. And um, and then my parents also know that once I make my mind up about something, that's it. Okay. And so they were supportive from the jump. So you move out to California and what happens? Like, do you just jump straight into it or? Yeah, so when I first moved here, uh, I had met Will Packer and I was reaching out to him to try to get an internship. And he wasn't hitting me back. <laughs> so I was like, all right, uh, I came to LA for a week, the summer after I graduated. And people kept telling me, you just got to be out here for the opportunities. Because a lot of times people will look for opportunities before they move. So they'll have something, you know, already set up. But um, people just kept saying, yo, you got to get here. And once you're here, the opportunities will come. So I just made the decision to move. I found an apartment. Um, I, I, saw, I decided to take piano in, in college. Okay. So I studied piano. I took piano <clears throat> one and two as my uh, free elective, even though I was a business student. So my piano instructor randomly had an, an apartment in Los Angeles because she was auditioning for the L.A. Opera. And so she <laughs> so your had, piano instructor <laughs> in Florida. In Florida. Had an apartment in L.A. In Los Angeles. I ran into her on the 4th of July. And she, you know, had asked me what my plans were now that I had graduated. And I said, I'm moving to L.A. I would always just say, I'm moving to L.A. And so she said, really, where are you living? I said, I don't know. And then she said, well, how much do you want to spend in rent? And somebody had told me that I would not find anything in L.A. under $800. Uh-huh. And so I just said 800 bucks. She had an apartment in L.A. The rent was 1600 And she let me stay there for $800. Wow. So I moved here. I had a place to stay. I left my car in Florida. I did not have a job. The first thing I did when I landed, the next day I went to the Beverly Center. And I applied for jobs at the mall. Ended up getting hired by Macy's. And started at Macy's, and then I was in L.A. for two weeks and got a call from Will Packer's assistant and said, hey, we've been getting your phone calls, and we're <laughs> actually starting a new film. Um, we would love to offer you an internship. The only thing is the film is shooting in, Lo- in Los Angeles, so you would have to relocate to L.A. in order to do the internship. And I said, yo, I'm already here. When do you want me to start? Oh, wow. But So yeah. everything's starting to align. Like- yeah, yeah. Your teacher that you took piano lessons for has an apartment out here, <laughs> yep. and she gives it to you for $800 a month. Yeah. You go to the mall day two and get hired at Macy's, yep. 
and then you get a phone call from Will Packard's team saying they want you to intern. Yes. How many times did you hit them up before? Uh, well, see, I had developed a relationship with Will over the course of, I want to say, about two years. Because when I first met Will, when he did Stump the Yard, I was a junior. And then uh, my senior year, I was student body vice president. And so I was over homecoming. And that year, Will was doing a movie called This Christmas. Okay. And he was looking to promote the film on campus. And so he wanted to come to Homecoming to promote the film, and he wanted to be the convocation speaker. So he had to go through me to make all of that happen. <laughs> and so it was cool because I got to develop a relationship and really show him my work, my work ethic uh, through helping him promote this film. And uh, But I would say after that, you know, he got busy because he was making another movie. So I would say I probably reached out to him at least a good five times. And um, so it wasn't necessarily that he wasn't... Um, he was ignoring me or he wasn't getting back to me. I think he was just waiting for an opportunity to come along. And then once he had an opportunity that he could provide to me, then he offered it to me through right. this internship. So was this a paid internship? It was right? non-paid at first. I'm going to tell you, God looked out. The internship was non-paid. Typically, they told me they would have like two or three interns at a time on a film. This particular film, they only had me. I was the only intern. And what they really needed from their interns was to man his desk while they were on set. Because he had an assistant, but his, his assistant needed to be with him on set every day. But he still had an office at the studio. So he still needed someone to answer the phones, to check the mail, to do errands, to, you know, pretty, pretty much man his desk. And so they would, have, they would typically have interns rotate. But I was the only intern, so I was there Monday through Friday for, from 9 to 5 during regular office hours. And then so finally after, I want to say it was like a week or two weeks of doing it for free, they said, hey, we're just going to make you a production assistant and we're going to pay you. Oh, nice. So, so did you quit the job at Macy's or were you working both at the time? Yeah, I quit the job at Macy's. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have time to do it because okay. I was literally, because what I would do, I would, be, I would be in the office from 9 to 5 and then I would go to set afterwards because I wanted that set experience. And so I had to be on the desk until like 5 p.m. And I had to be in the office by 9 a.m. So after 5 p.m., I would take the bus to set, and I would just sit on set. And, and because we were shooting a studio film, there were times where the set was on, the, was on the lot, so all I had to do was just walk to the soundstage. And so to have that opportunity just to be on a set, I always took advantage of it. So I w was easily doing 12-hour days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So after that movie wraps, what happens? Did you get a full-time job with Will's production no. team? <laughs> so the movie wrapped, and Will went back to Atlanta. Because <laughs> Will was based in Atlanta. So I, I finished that film. He went back to Atlanta. And I went back to the mall. <laughs> back to the mall. I started working at Abercrombie & Fitch while I was looking for another job and another opportunity. The blessing was... Um, when I was working for Will, I got a chance to meet other folks at the studio. And so I had met the guy who was over physical production. He, his name was uh, Glenn Gaynor. And Glenn was over uh, physical production. So he hired all of the crew for all of the films. And so I finished that film, I want to say, in November. And then I was back at Sony by February. So nice. I had about three months downtime and then I got a call one day from Glenn's assistant her name is Jamie Jamie called me and said hey we're doing a new film we want to know if you want to come and be an office production assistant and that film was death at a funeral so I, I got I came back to Sony and then that ended up being a two-year run from being a production assistant on death at a funeral to I became a cast assistant on this movie called Priest and then I became an assistant to one of the senior vice presidents um, his name is Scott Strauss on this film called Burlesque and I was on Burlesque for about a year 
And then after that, I was like, all right, I'm done with the studio system. <laughs> I'm done being on somebody's desk. I want to get out and really create my own content and make my own movies. And so after we finished Burlesque, I quit. And um, I went to Africa for the first time on a mission trip. Came back to LA, moved into a two-bedroom apartment with five people. I took, wait, wait. <laughs> two-bedroom apartment, bro, with five people. Okay. I slept in the living room. I put my mattress in the living room, was paying $200 in rent. Because between five of us, we were splitting. I think the rent was like thirteen dollars to 1600 But because I was in the living room, other people had bedrooms. I paid the lease. So I was paying like two, two to $300 a month. And I uh, collected unemployment and just started creating. Wow. Yeah. So you made this huge sacrifice. Like you went from living at this $1,600 apartment by yourself. Yeah. That, this, that your teacher basically okay, blessed you. So with. I was living by myself, but then I let two friends move in. <laughs> because <laughs> I wanted to bring that $800 <laughs> down. And it ended up being a mess because she ended up finding out. And I felt really bad. I had to apologize for her. But yeah, so it's, I was living by myself for a little while. <laughs> okay. But now you're with five people yeah. in a two-bedroom two apartment. Two-bedroom. Yeah. But you do all this because you made this big sacrifice. Yeah. Uh, because you want to have time to create and you don't want to have the financial strength. Yes. All right. So what were you creating while you were in this five-bedroom? Yeah. So I, I created this web series called Fail. It was my first web series. Uh, I created it with a college friend of mine, Vanessa Baden. She had just relocated to Los Angeles to to jumpstart her acting career because she had she grew up on Nickelodeon on Gullah Gullah Island and Kenny and Kel. She moved to LA and she thought, you know, she was just gonna jump right back into it. And she got here and realized that, you know, the business had changed. And so we were both in a position where we were looking to to act and write and direct and no one was offering us any opportunities. Like she wasn't booking. And so we sat down and said, hey, let's create our own content. So we created this web series called Fail and um, we were like, all right, so who are we going to put in the show? I was like, well, I got my friend Whitney. She's in L.A. She was the lead in my first film that I did at FAMU. Vanessa was living with um, this family that she grew up with, uh, Tristan and Jaren. And Tristan, Jaren used to be on the Disney Channel. And Tristan was on Gullah Gullah Island with Vanessa. So we put them in the film. And then she said, well, I also got this. I know this guy who's really funny. Uh, he used to make these YouTube videos at Florida State. His name is Andrew Bachelor. I think he'll be good for the show, too. So then Andrew Bachelor, a.k.a. King Batch, was also in the show. So we ended up shooting uh, two seasons. We shot, um, we shot our first season um, with the, the thought that BT was going to pick it up. Okay. We had met with BT, met with this executive, Austin, and we pitched the idea before we shot anything. And he was like, okay, you know, it sounds like a cool idea. Maybe if you guys self-produce and create something, um, I can present it, you know, to the network. And we were looking to do a BET web series. Yeah. And so we wanted it to be on BET.com. So we went and shot the first season. Andrew's mom gave us money to <laughs> shoot the first. Uh, the first season was technically only four episodes. Um, and so Andrew's mom gave us the money to do that. We shot it, took it to BET, and they ended up passing on it. So we were like, okay, well, we'll just release it on our own. So we put that out um, by ourselves. And then Vanessa and I decided to do our own college tour to promote the show. So she and I literally went to Florida. We flew to Florida. And uh, I had got a new car in Florida because my car had got wrecked here in L.A. by a drunk driver. Literally, a drunk guy just ran into my car. Oh, wow. It was parked on the street. He just ran into the back of my car, totaled it. So I went back to Florida, Florida to get a new car. 
And so Vanessa and I decided that we would drive back to LA, LA from Florida. Florida. But on our drive back, we would stop at schools and colleges on the way to LA and oh, wow. promote our show. <laughs> so we had got some posters printed. We would go to these schools, and I, bro, I would tell you, we had maybe 10 people at a time would come into our screenings, and we would talk to these 10 people and uh, you know, encourage them to go and check our show out. So then, while we're in Florida, before we're, we're trying to get out of Florida, we're in Tallahassee, um, my computer crashes, my MacBook. And that was a MacBook that I had all through college. It just crashed. <laughs> so I take it to, to Best Buy, to the Geek Squad, and I'm in line, and Christopher Play Martin uh, from Kid and Play is in line, and I had met Play at a, um, a film festival like a few years ago from my very first short film that I did, and he saw it, and he liked it, and he remembered me. And he says, what are you up to? Like, what are you doing now? So I gave him a, a, a poster for this web series, and I said, yo, I'm promoting this web series that I did. Played, went home, checked it out, called me the next day before we left to come back to L.A. and said, yo, I want to meet with you about your web series. We sat down, we met, and he said, I'm looking to get into this space. I'm looking to get into, you know, creating content for the digital space. I want to come on board and produce this show with you guys. What do you guys need to make it happen? And we said money. <laughs> That's what we need. We broke, bro. So Play came in as our first investor, and he financed the second season of Fail. And we went back into production and shot eight episodes um, and put those out on YouTube. And so that's what I did during that, that year of living in the two-bedroom with five people. Wow. So first of all, the story sounds freaking amazing. <laughs> right. But tell me, like, the college tour aspect. Like, how did you even set that up? Where did that idea come from? Yeah. And how many colleges did you guys end up hitting? Okay, so we knew that in order to promote this show, we didn't have money for mass media, so we really had to do grassroots marketing. Vanessa and I both came from, uh, you know, she went to Florida State, I went to FAMU. We were notorious for street marketing, whether we're promoting parties or promoting events. So we kind of had that background and that knowledge, and we knew we just needed to get it to the people. And if we couldn't find them on the Internet, we needed to go in and actually have that face-to-face in, hope, in hopes that the show could spread via word of mouth. So we just started reaching out to folks. And so we would just send emails. We would try to reach out to the Black Student Union or someone over campus activities. Or because I'm an alpha, I would try to reach out to the, the, um, the alphas on, on the yard at a particular school. The only problem was it was the summertime. <laughs> so school wasn't even in session. But we was like, yo, we still we were like, yo, there's still students on campus. Yeah. And so we would just we would get in touch with someone and someone would host us and we would come and we would screen the series and then we would have a, a small Q and A. And so this is over the summer this that you is guys over are the doing summer. Yeah, a college doing the college tour. And we started so we, we flew in to because uh, we're from Central Florida. Uh-huh. So we drove to Miami. And we started, and we went to uh, FAU. Okay. Um, and then we hit Tampa. We hit the University of South Florida. And then we hit UCF, the University of Central Florida in Orlando. And then we went to Tallahassee, and we hit Florida State and uh-huh. Florida A&M, our Vanessa and, 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 and I's alma maters. And then we went to Georgia, hit Valdosta State. And then we hit the road and went to Arizona. <laughs> no, we hit the road and drove to Texas. Wow. Uh, Vanessa had a friend in Texas. We stayed overnight in Texas. And then we drove to Arizona, stayed with another college friend in Arizona, and then drove to L.A. 
Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so, oh, so we was broke too, and so Vanessa and I both do poetry, and we had just finished this this, this poetry play, and so we would also reach out to churches, and we would go and we would perform. We performed at a few churches. Um, these poetry, uh, these Chris, this Christian poetry act that we had, and then they would take a donation. <laughs> and that's how y'all made the- that's the, And we use that for gas money. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then when you guys were doing these universities mm-hmm. um, all through Florida, where were y'all staying as y'all broke? Friends. Because we're from Florida. Okay. Yeah, so we would go to Miami. We stayed with my boy Ryan that I went to college <laughs> with. Uh, when we went to Tampa, Tampa's a two-hour drive from Florida, so we just went home. Okay. So Orlando, we're both from that area. So we just went home, stayed with our parents, our family. Went to Tallahassee. We went to college in Tallahassee. We know everybody in Tallahassee. When we got to Georgia, um, I don't think we stayed. We just went to Georgia, did our thing. Uh, we went to church. We did our thing at a church. <laughs> and then we also did our thing at a church back home in Florida. They took up a collection. And it was the sad part, bro, it was like youth. It was like youth night. And so it was the little kids like giving us their dollars and, <laughs> and stuff like that because it was all kids at the church. Uh-huh. But we went to Waffle House on that donation and ate good. And, um, yeah, and so just stayed with friends, bro. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So okay, and then you meet kid in Florida while you're yeah, doing this play. tour. You Man, meet play. play in Florida while yeah. you're doing this tour. Yeah, yeah. And y'all meet, and he decides to be invested. You do season yeah. two. Yeah. And so, how what happens after that? So we do two? season two, and we ended up we released the show on allhiphop.com, and I mean, it just didn't take off. It didn't become a hit. I mean, and we had King Batch in the show. King Batch was not King Batch at that time. You know, he has what. Well, he had over 13 million followers on Vine. He probably has a good seven, eight million followers on Instagram right now. When we were doing fail, I probably had more followers. Wow. <laughs> you know, than Andrew. <laughs> you know, he wasn't the 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 digital, he just wasn't the celebrity that he is now. But the the cool part about it is the talent was there. You know, we had not been discovered yet. And so the show it just never took off. So what lesson, what did you learn from that experience? I would say the lesson that I learned is that uh, I definitely, I, I definitely learned that it's in me to, I, I have it in me. I have the skills, I have the skill set to make it happen. Um, and, but I learned it's about timing. And uh, your success is um, connected not only to the preparation and your skill set and your talent, but a great part of success is about timing. And if it's, you know, your particular time. And so I think that what we did with fail was just preparation for what was to come. But because because I did fail, I had the opportunity to then go and do other web series. Because now, so I did fail. And because I did fail, a friend saw it. And a friend said, hey, I want to do my own web series. I see you did a web series. Can you sit down with me and another friend and talk about your web series? And I said, cool. So I went to, to talk to them. And she was like, oh, this is my friend Issa Rae. Issa Rae just did her own web series called Aqua Black Girl. And so since you both are doing web series, can you give me information? So that's how I met Issa Rae. Wow. Was through doing fail. And so also the lesson is that even though you do a project and you think that this is going to be the thing that uh, jumpstarts your career or this is going to be the thing that takes off, sometimes it's just a stepping stone. But you needed that step to get to where you're going. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? And so that step of doing that web series allowed me to meet Issa, and I'm still working with Issa today. 
So through, you know, knowing Issa, I then do a web series called First. I take everything that I learned from doing Fail and I apply it to First, and then First takes off. First is actually a web series that it gets the viewership that Fail never got. And so... So yeah. first, did you guys do a guerrilla marketing campaign? Not at all, like bro. It was just Issa Rae's YouTube channel. It was off the strength of her followers. It was off of really the back. It was the back of Issa in the sense of she had amassed a huge following th- for, from doing her web series, Aqua Black Girl. And so, you know, we were on social media. We were marketing the show via Twitter, via Instagram. But we weren't doing any of the guerrilla grassroots grimy in the streets type marketing <laughs> like we were doing with Fail, yeah. but the show was good, and so it found its legs from being on a solid network. Nice. Yeah. So, and it's interesting, just hearing your, your story, how all these dots seem to connect yeah. for you at the right time, though. Yeah. Like, you do something, yeah. you're at Best Buy, you <laughs> run into the guy that's going to end up financing yeah, yeah. season two, or you tell a teacher randomly that you're moving to Los Angeles. She's like, oh, I got an apartment for you. Yeah. At the prices you can afford. Yes. Like, it's just, I don't know, like, it's when you're going through it, yeah. do you realize at that time that these dots are connecting or you don't realize until you look back? I do. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so grateful and I'm so appreciative. And for me, they've served as reminders that you're on the right path. Um, you know how sometimes in life you just feel like you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing? or you're, you don't feel aligned, when these dots connect in the moment, it, it just, it's just a reminder that you're on the right path. Keep going. Keep going in this direction because everything is lining up. You know, it's typically when things don't work out, when stuff isn't going your way, you're like, okay, maybe you need to readjust. Yeah. But when you start to have these um, divine moments in life, I feel like it's God sending you signs that I got you, that you're, you're doing the right thing, so keep going. So had that, after fail didn't yeah. take off the way you wanted, were you ever discouraged? Was oh, there ever yes, a bro. Like- we, we were pissed. <laughs> I mean, I get discouraged every time. Uh, with every project, with every... Uh, no, I don't even want to say because it wasn't a, a failure. It just with every disappointment. Um, because with every... I think with every project, you think this is it. <laughs> like, yeah. This is the one. Um so, yeah, I've had tons of disappointments, man. But I, I always tell myself, I always give myself one day to grieve. Like, I really allow myself to feel that pain and feel that disappointment. And I grieve it. And I allow myself to be mad. And then I move on. But I've also learned that you got to start looking at the nose not as uh, in a negative way. And when you start looking at the nose in a positive way and knowing that because this didn't work, it's making room for something else, you know? And so I started to look at it from that perspective that when God says no to something, it's because he's saying yes to something else. So focus on the yes, you know, versus, you know, focusing on that no, just say, yo, I'm excited that, okay, this did not happen the way I wanted it to. It must mean you have something bigger and something greater. So I'm going to celebrate and I'm going to look forward to that. I mean, that's super powerful and a lot of people don't do not do that. You can get so dragged down by those no's. Yeah. Especially if you're a freelancer and this is like Shit. this is your business, this is what you want to do. Yeah. For a living and you get that no when you thought it was supposed to be that yes. Yeah. It's hard. And sometimes it can be hard to recover can, from. Yeah, man. Yeah. And you got to have the attitude that you just yeah. talked about. Yeah. Um, so, okay, fast forward. Now you have this relationship you've done first. Mm-hmm. You have a relationship with Issa. What's going on in your career? So, right now, man, I'm about to, I'm getting ready to launch a new series, another web series. 
but this one is the first one that I actually wrote, directed, starred in, executive produced. Like, did everything. So this is my awkward black girl. You know, I guess what awkward black girl was for Issa. Uh, this is, because, uh, you know, my other projects, it was always such a collaborative effort. I was uh, co-created or I was just directing. Like, first was Jamila Big's show. I was a director and an actor and a producer, but it was her show. So um, now I finally have my own series, uh, Giants, and it's going to premiere on Issa's YouTube channel. So really excited about that. Um, what is Giant about, and like, where did that idea come from, and why yeah. did you decide to go off and do this on your own versus, you know, partnering with somebody? Yeah. Or, you know, uh, I needed to I needed to birth something. You know how sometimes um, you can you can have nieces and nephews, or you can have like God daughters and godsons, but then there comes a time in your life as a man or a woman where you want your own child, you want your own baby, you want something that looks like you, something that you know. Um, it's all you. And I didn't have that. I realized that I was being a, a stepdad. <laughs> you know, I was taking care of everybody else's kids. I was raising everybody else's children. You know, I was out here. I was that guy when somebody wanted to create a project, they came to me because they knew I would make it happen because I had a track, rec a track record for producing quality content and seeing it through to the finish line. And it was cool, and I learned a lot. So I learned how to be a good dad. I learned you know, a lot of parenting and, you know, how to develop um, a child, just how to develop content and how to get it from pre-production and how to produce content on a budget, on a really tight shoestring budget, but still make it look like you had a little bit of money. Yeah. Um, but I wanted my own thing. And so um, I realized that after doing first and, you know, with doing first, I really, I always say ownership of a project and I always treat it like it's my own, but there's those reminders that it's not yours. You know, um, it'll feel like yours at times, and but let's say you'll have a certain idea and it'll get shot down because it's not your project. You don't have the final say. It's not really your creative vision. And I realized that I needed something that was mine that I had total autonomy over. And so that was really the reason why I started doing Giants. And I knew that I could do it. I knew I had it in me. I knew. And then ultimately, I just had something to say. So Giants is a series about these three friends who are living in Los Angeles. And they're really just trying to find their way. But they each have, they each have a very particular thing that's holding them back. And that thing is their giant. And so uh, the series chronicles these three young millennials who are uh, searching for their purpose and just trying to find their place and find their happiness in life, but life starts to kick their ass. And so throughout the series, we watch them make the decision of do I lie down and allow life to just beat me up or do I fight back? And in the series, we start to see these characters really fight back and take ownership of their own lives. That's, so I just got a few chills from hearing this. <laughs> and only because I came from church. Yeah. And the message today was about giants. Yes. Like that was the message Dope. today. Dope. And so hearing you see say that's dots, the series these about. Dots I felt, yes. These dots, bro. <laughs> Be on the right path. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. crazy. So it comes out in January, in January. on Issa's channel. Issa's channel. So how long did it take from concept to, to getting it to where it's ready to launch? Two years. Two years of your life? Two years, man. I started writing the first episode in 2014. I was living in New York, and I would write on my phone on the train going to work. 
Um, I got back to LA in 2015. The top of 2015, the first day of production was in January. It was like late January of, two th of 2015. Um, it took me a year, pretty much a year to, to shoot all six episodes. I was working a full-time job at the time at TV Land. So I was at TV Land Monday through Friday. I was shooting Giants on Saturdays and Sundays. And also because the series is self-funded, I, I was funding the series out of my pocket, I would budget a certain amount of my paycheck every month to go towards Giants. And so um, it cost me about 10 grand to produce a series. And so that's why it took so long because I didn't have 10 grand at one time yeah. to just say, okay, I'm gonna shoot this in a matter of weeks. I took 10 grand over the course of a year. Yeah, to and you still had to pay your bills. So I had to pay my bills, and so we finished production um, in uh, November of 2015, and I realized that I had to go through post production. It needed to be edited, it needed to be sound mixed, I needed to create music, and that's a whole other set of of expenses. And so I launched the Indiegogo campaign, and I set a goal of raising ten thousand to pay for the editing, color, graphics, sound mix, everything that I needed to put out a quality, polished product, and ended up raising 11000 on Indiegogo. So I started post-production uh, late 2015, and we finished that process August of 2016. Wow. Yeah, so, so why did that take so long? It's just a process, man, um, because you got to go through a series of edits. So, and then, you know, there, there are bumps along the, along the road. Even though I had a budget, I still wasn't paying people enough money. I had to spread this over six episodes. And so I'm paying, like, for example, I was paying an editor 500 to edit an episode. For six episodes, that's what, $3,000? Yeah. Did I do that math right? <laughs> 500 <Yeah>. times six. <laughs> This is bad, right? You <laughs> <laughs> went to college, right? 500 right. times 6 is 3,000. Yeah. Yeah, so like three grand. But 500 for an editor editing a 20 minute episode is, that's, that's not a that's lot That's not even a normal rate. That's not a normal rate. So, still, even though you're paying people, you're still paying people significantly less than what their typical rate is. So, they still have to do other things. Yeah, so your project to, isn't the priority. So, my project is not the priority. And so, it would take sometimes a month to get an edit back, you know, from an editor. Or, I, so I started taking things into my own hands and, and editing the content myself as well to try to push it along. But I'm in the same boat. I still got to take other work and other jobs in order to continue to pay the bills. Yeah. And you just don't have this endless fun coming in from a yeah. big studio. Yeah. You're financing yourself, so financing you're myself. working it on. And I had, to spread, I had to spread that 11 grand out because you had the editing and then the sound mix. And filmmaking is an expensive craft. Like this, these technical types of jobs, even color correction. Color correction costs just as much as the editing costs. Wow. To have someone color correct the entire project, it was the exact amount to get it edited. <laughs> and that was a hookup, you know? I remember when I first reached out to the colorist and I was, I was like, hey, I just, I wanna put out a scene for promo and marketing purposes. How much would you charge me to, to color this two minute scene? And they quoted me $500. So wow. I was like, how much is it gonna cost to do 20 minutes? <laughs> But, you know, this was a professional colorist. You know, he does this for a living. This is all he, this is what he does all day, every day. Yeah. And he was a friend of the DP. And so he gave me a, a great rate. But it was still, at the end of the day, I'm looking at about three grand. Wow. Just to get it colored. So we're at $6,000 and we just got edit, color. We still got to do a sound mix. 
sound mix is around the same amount. Like all of these. So I'm like, okay, another three thousand. We're at nine thousand dollars. Yeah. So I got two thousand left, and I still gotta do music. I still gotta do graphics. I still. And so when I was hoping that I could have, and also that I, with that eleven thousand, Indiegogo takes a percent. So you don't really get everything you raise. And then you offer incentives and perks. We ended up paying like a grand just to get the T-shirts printed and all of the things that we gave to people as a thank you for giving. So the money goes fast. Wow. Super fast. Wow. And so this takes two years of your life. Was there ever a point in that two years where you were like, this is too much. Like, I'm discouraged. I'm feeling that way right now. (laughs) (laughs) But now is you at the finish line. I know, bro. But it still has to. I'm at that. I'm in the third trimester. So I'm in that final quarter. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And so the I feel it like it's almost there. It's coming, but I'm fatigued, bro. Like, I've been running up and down this court for four quarters. I'm tired. But, you know, there's uh, – I know that uh, I'm almost there. And so I'm I'm just pumping my arms, bro, trying to get to that finish line. But, so man, a lot of times I was like, I'm tired. I'm really – And so how would you push through that, though? I would take breaks. Yeah. Yeah. I would just allow myself to rest, take a break, get away from the travel – um, like this year alone, I've been to eight countries, so I've just gotten away a lot and just cleared my mind, and then I would come back to it. So I've learned if you, you if you just put it down for a little bit and come back to it with a fresh mind, um, then you'll have you just gotta recharge and re-energize yourself. Yeah, because so you can important. burn out. You'll burn out. Yeah, you can burn out. So, but when you were working on it, and you were working your your jobs yeah. at the time, like how did you juggle all that? Um. How did I do it? I just, long hours. <laughs> you know, I put up a, a status on Facebook, and I said, if it doesn't keep you up at night, it's not your calling. Yeah. And so a lot of just sleepless nights, staying up late to get it done. Um, yeah, I think that's really the only way you can do it. You got to sacrifice something. And so I think what most entrepreneurs or creatives do, we sacrifice sleep. Or I don't really go out that much. Um, so you sacrifice so- a social life. I'm single, you know, so I have a lot of time. So I'm not like going on dates and having to like spend time with a significant other. Um, I, I don't have kids. And so I'm able to be very selfish with my time and how I use it and how I spend it. And so that's how I'm able to get it all done. Wow. So, but every, there are a lot of people, especially in California and Los yeah. Angeles, that have ideas, have dreams, they want to mm-hmm. do things. But going from having that dream to actually executing and then following through is a whole nother ballgame. Yeah. So what do you think you get that that drive and that will to execute and actually follow through on your dreams? It's just in me, bro. Like, uh, I think I've been prepared for this. Um, there's a quote that says that, you know, we have, we are a summation of all of our experiences and that uh, everything that we're going through is preparing us for a time such as this. And so the space that I'm in right now, I was prepared for this space from going to HBCU, from pledging Alpha, um, from being student body vice president and and having to run a campaign at a black college where people are super competitive, Mm -hmm. you know, from playing sports my entire life, everything was preparation. And so I had been, being molded and cultivated into a person and a being that's uh, competitive, that's tenacious, um, like my drive was being refined, 
my my work ethic. Like my dad, it started you know as a kid. Like my dad didn't believe in sleeping in on Saturday mornings. Like I, I wasn't allowed to sleep in. Every Saturday I had to get up and do chores. Every uh, every summer. Um, we weren't allowed to just sit around the house on summer break. My dad would leave a list, and he would find the most random shit for us to do. Bro, I'm talking about polish the cabinets. Yeah. I'm talking about cleaning the ceiling fans. When you think it ain't nothing, no more chores to do, he would find something. Cleaning out the attic and uh, digging weeds out the flower bed. He would come home with mulch. Like, and he would be like, shovel this mulch off the back of my truck, put it in a wheelbarrow. He would always find something, trim them hedges. It was always work to be done. And so, uh, as a result, now at 31, and um, I'm uh, writing, directing, producing, starring in, marketing, music supervisor uh, uh, of my own show, while also editing, creative directing content for brands and other people, while also um, writing a new pilot. It's just, it's, I've been prepared for it, because my entire life, I've been taught there's no sleeping in. You get up. It's work to be done. And so I, so I feel guilty when I'm not doing something. Like, I have to be reminded to just sit down. Like, one of my, my boy, Will, Catlett, sometimes I'll call Will and be like, because I, once I finish editing Giants, I call Will and was like, I got another project. And he was like, bro, just chill. Like, take a moment <laughs> to just chill because I've been conditioned to always be doing something. And you know it from pledging. Like, the bros yeah. teach us. It's always something to do. And so I've always just had a sense of urgency and uh, and even being a PA, you're taught never let them see you uh, sitting down. Always find something to do. Keep your hands busy. And so as a result, I'm always doing some shit. And I got to sometimes make myself just chill out. Chill Yo, out. just be still for a moment. But I think that's, in my opinion, I think that's what separates a lot of people, though, yeah. from having that idea to actually executing on that idea. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. everybody has ideas. Everybody and has ideas. And there's so few that execute on yeah. them. Yeah, or people start, and people don't will start, but get to that finish line, man. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's a it's a marathon. It ain't a sprint. Yeah. And a lot of people don't have the conditioning. They haven't been conditioned to run this long race. Yeah, that yeah. finish, and that finish, it's like usually that the end, getting right over that finish line is yeah. the hardest part. It's the hardest part. Because you get, you meet so many giants. Yeah. That, oh. yeah. <laughs> Bro. <laughs> that it'd be like, you'd be like, man. But you, you know, know what? what? I don't want to. I don't want to take this giant on, bro. Even before the giants, you 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 meet the the lions and the bears because you know before David fought Goliath, it was he was a lion came. He had to fight a lion. And he had to fight a bear. So like in the whole uh, end game with giants, even the series is that sometimes you ain't even got to your giant yet. Some things are just your lion, your lions and your bears, but it's preparation, preparation for, for your giant. giant. Because once you defeat the giant. That's when David became king. Yeah. And so the other side, you know, the breakthrough, mm -hmm. the, what you've been working for is on the other side of the giant. And so you got to get through these lions and these bears so you'll be prepared and you'll have the confidence and the conditioning to then defeat the giant. And then once you defeat that giant, then it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> then you're there. <laughs> so now what's, what's next for you? Uh, what's next? Um, all right, so I'm going to speak this into existence. So what's next for me is next year I'm going to be doing a lot of scripted work. I'm going to be directing. I'm going to direct my first television show. Um, I will be in development on another show that I'm writing for a network. I don't know which network it is, but uh, that's what I want to be doing. I really want to just be in a space where I can be creating my own content on a bigger scale. 
with a bigger budget, with uh, bigger resources. And I really see that in 2017. Nice. So, and this is kind of, I want you to try to predict the future. But when you look at guys, like you had the chance to work with Andrew Bachelor. Yeah. And you've seen his career took off because of his social media presence. And he was able to parlay that in TV. But more and more, people were spending less time watching network television and more time watching people just create their own content. Yeah. So where do you see those two worlds kind of going? Like what direction? Like is yeah. network television going to go away? Is, is YouTube going to take over or the Netflix of the world? I don't think it'll ever go away. I think they just have to share the audience. It's very similar. What's going to happen with television is what happened with radio. Radio didn't go away. I mean, we still have radio, but when television came along, the way we consume content changed. We no longer sit in front of a radio to listen to stories. You know, we now watch it play out on a television screen, but the radio radio still exists. Yeah. Um, it's just, it, it now shares its audience with television. Television is now in the same predicament with the digital space, with the internet. It's just the way we consume content is different. We're not going to stop... Um, you know, listening to stories and, and, and seeing stories or, or watching films and, and, or, or television shows, we're just now going to watch them in a different way. And the way we're going to watch it is on our mobile devices. But television is still going to be there. It's now, it just has to share its audience. And so now the distribution of funds and wealth is being spread out. They don't necessarily monopolize, they don't monopolize just the television space. They now have to share that space with the internet. But it'll still be there. Yeah, it's nice. just spread out, but which is a great thing because it now presents and provides more opportunities. It's so much content, bro. It's hard to keep up. Like think about all of the great shows that you hear about. It you it's impossible to find the time to watch them all. I know. Yeah, but uh, it's gonna push television to change the way they do business, and we've already seen that. You know, with them including digital stars like Andrew Bachelor in their television shows, because now they realize they have to be a part of that world. Even myself, I've been working as a digital producer for a television network. When I first started, the digital department would work hand-in-hand with marketing and on-air promo, but the network would put all of the budget towards on-air promotions, but that's an antiquated way of thinking. They would never give digital, um, at that particular time when I started, we never had a budget because they looked at digital marketing as an organic grassroots you know, type of form of marketing where you just post something on Twitter that's free. Just post it, post something on Facebook. Just put up a video, and that's a form of marketing. But everything's changing. It's now about uh, ad space, even in the digital space. It's about purchasing ad buys on Facebook and doing promotions on Instagram or paying digital influencers like a King Batch to promote your show on their page. It's still marketing on the digital space, but it still costs money. Yeah. And so now television and networks are starting to catch up and they're starting to realize that there's money to be made. There's tons of money to be made and um, you got to spend money to make money. So if you want to make money through digital influencers and through the digital medium, you got to spend a little money in that space. So this is just a question directed for Giants. Like, how are you guys planning on promoting Giants? Bruh, we ain't got no money. (laughs) But nah, you know, the way I'm going to promote Giants is... I'm going to take a lot of the tactics that I've, I've learned from being a digital producer at a network. You know, I've marketed television before, television shows 
for three years on social media. And so it's really about creating content. It's about creating value on the digital space. And people know, we we know when we're being marketed to. Yeah. And we sometimes shun away from that. And so it's really about being genuine and being honest and just creating content uh, that also can double as uh, promotions. And so uh, it's about being active and it's about being visible. So we're gonna be extremely active invisible and engaging with the audience on social media so uh you know live tweeting responding to fans posting content that sparks open-ended conversation um so we can engage in a dialogue with a fan base and really just really focusing on creating uh, a quality show that people will naturally organically want to share and the hope with giants is that it's very similar to first people watch first and people will go and tell their friends about first because they felt something yeah, you know, and so my hope with Giants is that people are gonna share it because it makes them feel, because it moves them, it moves their heart in a particular way, and it'll find its legs um, that way. But in addition, I'm gonna I'm planning screenings around the country. I'll be at Florida a and University uh, January 18th. I'm going to Atlanta. I'm going to DC. So very similar to what we did with Fail. That has not changed. I believe that you gotta get out. You gotta touch the people. You gotta talk to the people because the internet can also be. Um, a very uh, you know you don't it, there's not that personal touch the personal yeah. touch goes a long way it's like door to door marketing yep. you gotta go and talk to people and people will uh, be more inclined and inspired to to promote your content if they can meet you and they see what's behind it and people will not only promote it or support it because it's a good show but because they had the opportunity to meet the person who was behind the show got it and so we haven't really touched on this piece but you also have directed a few commercials for major brands. Yeah. You've worked at television networks or in the digital department. Yeah. How did that happen? Like, yeah, so really, bro, I was in LA. My my pro fight frat brother friend Elton Anderson had moved to LA, was sleeping on my couch. <laughs> <laughs> and I was at the time, I was making films, but I wasn't shooting content myself. So anytime I needed to shoot a project, I had to hire a, a camera guy. Um, and so then Elton suggested, why don't you do videography? And so uh, he sparked that idea. So I went and brought a camera and I started shooting behind the scenes for him, for you. Um, and I was doing it for free just to create content. And then from there, I started to be known as a guy who can shoot and edit. And so whenever someone needed content, they would reach out to me. And that led me into the branded, uh, the branded commercial space because um, I could shoot and I could edit. And that's even how I started being a digital producer for networks. They needed someone with those tangible skills. And I just got better and better at, you know, as I went. So you know, you do, you do one project, you put it out, people see it, and then you get a call and say, hey, I saw your work, I have this project, can you come on and do this? How did you learn to shoot and edit? Did you, you take classes? No, I just picked up a camera. Like literally. <laughs> Just picked up a camera. I mean, and you talk to people. It's you know, it's similar to photography. You pick up a camera. You you watch some YouTube videos. You read some articles, um, and then it's just practice. It's a, a hands-on. You it's it's like being in the gym. You just gotta keep working out, and you get stronger and stronger as you go. So um, just picked it up and started shooting. Wow. And then how did you start landing clients that were starting to pay you? Friends, honestly, <laughs> friends, man. You do a job for a friend. And uh, you do it for free, and you do good work, you do it like you're getting paid, and people remember that. And so when they have the opportunity to pay you, they'll, they'll remember that favor. 
And so I think that's how it happened. So people like you, people like Elton, when uh, someone would reach out to them for video, they would say, hey, I got a guy. I know a guy. And that guy would be me. And so you start landing, you know, paying gigs. And then uh, things spread word of mouth. And the, the so, and social media and the digital space plays a huge part because people will see your work. People will discover you on Instagram. I saw this video you did. I saw this video you shot on YouTube. And they'll reach out to you. Um, so really, that's how I've gotten all of my work. Wow. So no marketing, no none. pushing your awesome like stuff. None, bro. I have never I've never done any marketing. Wow. Like zero marketing. Everything is relationships. Nice, yeah. nice. Um first, I just before I end, I wanna thank you for your time. Like I really appreciate it. And I wanna thank you just for continuing to be so driven and inspiring because like I see what you do. And I'm like, man, James is out here killing it. And <laughs> it inspires me to work harder. Yeah. Like, it inspires me to go out and create my own stuff. Yeah. Because I know, like, it, all of us can get into a space of like, man, you, you don't feel like doing it. But then I can look up to some of my peers. I'm like, man, I can't have that feeling not wanting to do it because yeah. I don't want to be left behind. Right. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. And you were one of those people I look to. So Thank whenever you, I'm down, I'm like, let me look at James' stuff. Yeah. I'm like, cool, I'm out. I'm, I'm out, out here. I'm about to start it. creating. I do the same thing, man. I'll go on YouTube and like watch videos or listen to interviews, and it picks me up, and I'm like, all right, we got to get it because somebody else is out here getting it. Exactly. Yeah. So the my last question is, is there anything that people don't know about you that I haven't that we haven't discussed that you would want to share? Ah, uh, so that's a good one. I took ballet. <laughs> I think the thing about me is I'm not, a tr I'm not afraid to try things. And uh, I believe that if the desire is in you, it's for a very specific purpose and a very specific reason. So you should not ignore it. You should. Uh, and it may not be a huge thing. It may not be something that is going to lead to a career. It's going to lead to money, but it's connected to something. Um, and so I've always been that guy that I, I try not to ignore the desires in my heart, no matter what shape or form it looks like. And I, I've always had this interest in ballet. I don't know. It's weird. So I signed up for a ballet class. When was only, this? This was like two years ago. Oh, wow. uh, so I'm this six foot six black dude in this ballet <laughs> class with all white, mostly white women. Like when I showed up to the class the first day, the teacher was like, you know, he didn't think I was in the right place. I was like, no, nah, I'm here for the ballet class. Wow. Um, and so that may be a, a, a little known fact about myself is that I studied ballet for a very short period of time and found out it's really difficult. Uh -huh. It's really hard. And it was really tough for me because the the I'm so tall. Like when I would do the, I don't know, a plie, uh, my my hands would be touching the ceiling. I couldn't really do all of the the movements because uh, the space just I, I really I was too big for the space, man. And that's been the story of my life. I've been too big for a lot of the spaces that I've been in, and so uh, I realized that uh, I just I need bigger platforms. And I know that that is the path and that is the destiny that God has laid out for me is that he's promised me nations, wow. you know, yeah. and, um, and so I'm looking to fill that space. And then what continues to inspire you? What inspires me? Um, other people, I get so inspired by watching other folks. Um, you know, social media is dangerous because you can get envious and you can compare your journey, but if you got the right mindset, it's great because you can see what your peers are doing and you can be inspired by them. 
Um, and so I just really get inspired by seeing other people um, who I've come up with or who I've had the opportunity to know. I love watching people's journeys. That's my favorite thing. Like stuff like this, like what we're doing, I'm going to listen to every single one of these because just hearing somebody else's journey inspires me. Um, so even like when I moved to LA, uh, I would constantly watch YouTube videos of interviews. So like the Hollywood round table, uh -huh. um, you know, actors on actors or, you know, actors talking to actors or, um, or any type of panels, just hearing somebody's journey and how they got to where they got. And I'm always inspired by, um, the story of other people. I know. Cause it's so easy, like to look at somebody, especially with social media now, look at somebody and yeah. see like, man, they're this big star or they're this huge director or whatever. But then you don't know the context behind it. Like you don't know everything they went through to get to where they are. Yep. And then when you learn that, you're like, man, yeah. I respect that person so much more yeah. because they've endured so much to make it to where they are. For sure. And they deserve everything that they got too. Because yes. they worked so hard to get there. Yeah. And for me, like this project has become a very selfish thing because I get to sit down and talk to people <laughs> yeah. about their journeys and their stories. And I'm like, every time I'm so much more inspired mm -hmm. after it. And I respect the person so much more because I've known some of these people for years, yeah. but I don't know every like I don't know everything they've gone through to get to where they are now. And yeah. I'm learning it's like meeting the person all over again for yep. the first time. Yeah. So that's cool. Thank you for today, man. Thank, thank you for the you, time. Bro. And thank I appreciate you. it. I appreciate it, man. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, please share it with your community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Snapchat and write a review on iTunes. My goal is to inspire and help as many people as possible. And by you sharing, we will be able to do this together. You can also shoot me an email if you have any suggestions. Thank you for your time.